All right, 414465. That's our code for tonight for Slido. It should be on the screen behind me. I can't, see. yeah. Yeah, 414465. Get your questions in. Oh, well, Pastor Tiffany. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Well, it's so good to be here. Oh, it's so good yeah. to have you. It's so good to have you. I couldn't think of many people better for this, for this message as it deals with the inner workings of our souls, our emotional health, our mental health, our spiritual health, what's core, central desires that, that ultimately drive our purpose. Um, you're someone who's helped me with those things and navigate that and, and think through that in my life. Um, initial thoughts, reflections, comments on the message. What was one of those things that really... I know there's probably six or seven, yeah, there's like, not six or seven of them. Just, get, just let's start with one and we'll go from there. You're going to have me go first. Well, you are a special guest. I um, will start right at the beginning of his message when he was talking about Eve falling in love with the apple. Um, it was super powerful to think about the things that get our attention um, that we just go ahead and take advantage of outside of the timing and the will of God. Um, and for me, throughout my life, I've done that. I've come to the spaces and places where I get um, a little impatient with God, and I'm like, okay, I like this thing a lot, and I like what I think it will bring to me, so I'm going to go ahead and indulge. And then I get my results. And I thought it was amazing how he painted the picture of you're going to fall in love with something. Yeah. Let it be with the purposes of God. Yeah, so good. It's not a question of if we'll love, but what will receive our love? Yeah. Where will we direct? And I loved how he was speaking to about like this Trinitarian idea of God and who he is, how we are made in love by love for love. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, that whole framework of um, love being out of order mm -hmm. and, and how yes. it affects the way that we live life and our interpersonal relationships and how we treat people and, and how if our love is out of order talking about, and I'm sure we'll talk about um, all the desires that he was referencing. I thought that was huge, but honestly, the title of the message is one that stuck out to me. Just yeah. practically, what do you want? What do you want? <laughs> that, that first question that Jesus asked in the gospels, what do you want? I think is, is easily glossed over if we allow it to be right. Oh, yeah. If we're just like, Oh, I, I, I don't know. Like I want, I want to be successful. I right. want to be happy. What do you right. mean? What do I want? But Jesus actually asking the questions that all of us need to answer in a deeper level. What do you actually want? Yeah. What are you looking for? Is, it, it, was, it was revealing to me. Yeah, I think, I think firstly I'm annoyed he came and preached a better lovesick message than I did three weeks prior. <laughs> so we need to watch our guests when we bring them in. You can't bring them out. Yeah. You got to put them at... Just put me after them. Yeah, just put you yeah, after, just put me exactly. after them. That was your message uh, was great. It was yeah. Well, I mean, not compared to that. Um, <laughs> we don't compare. <laughs> you're right. We're all you're different. Right. My core desire. Yes, has been your core met. desire. I was going to say, are we going to start <laughs> now? <laughs> are these cash? My identity <laughs> is from called Christ you. Yes. alone, and not from man. <laughs> Exposing yourself a little. I'm convincing anyway, myself. Before... No, no, no. I meant that to honor Seth, but somehow now I'm the center of. <laughs> <laughs> just exposed yourself yeah. in front of hundreds of people. Uh, why do I do this anymore with you? <laughs> You're, I'm trying to it's because it. our love is sick. Don't our you love, know this? There it is. Our love is sick. Yeah, but that we talked about that idea of what do you want is deep work. Like that's a deep work question. That's not a question on a Sunday in a sermon. You go, oh, I can answer that after somebody tells me the answer. That's a, that's a question that requires days, weeks of meditating, of journaling, of processing, of talking with friends, of searching your soul to unpack and understand. Because even as Pastor Seth drew out those deep core desires are layers deep within us 
and we see the surface one or two levels deep when things, you know, it's the whole idea of like uh, when he's given directions on how to get there, he's going, you don't respect me. Well, that might be a surfacey level issue, but that's not, that's not what you want. What do you want is not just respect. That's, that's something you need, and that helps the relationship thrive. But there's, there's layers deep that all of us have to do work on, and that's hard work. Yeah. That's not like easy work to do, yeah. but it is probably some of the most important work yes. that we can do. No, I think that's great. I think that's great. As uh, we get some questions rolling in, uh, again, slido.com, 414465. Um, a thought. When he's speaking about love out of order and, and these things, and specifically how he's referencing like core desires, critical desires, um, and casual desires, yeah. um, I thought that he explained and kind of dissected expectations really, really well. And I know, Pastor AJ, that's something that you've talked about a lot is expectations yeah. and, and things about what we expect that other people are to be for us. Right. And maybe you, Pastor Tiffany, on expectations. And when we talk about specifically inside of relationships, he referenced one time with his wife in the car, right? Yeah. Um, and how that expectation was kind of violated, but it was, uh, what did he say? He said something beautiful and challenging. He said, um, my wife does not get my wrath for things that have nothing to do with her. Yes. Um, <laughs> which we're like, my goodness. But when thinking about expectations in the context of relationships and marriages, do you have any thoughts on that with the core critical casual desires in terms of expectations? Yeah. I mean, I think again, like even I, when I, we talked with him after the message, I was like, what, one thing I really appreciated with this message was he took some of the concepts I moved through quickly and pulled them apart and dug deep for us. So this idea of expectations, there are, there are simple expectations like, I expect when I get home from work, dinner to be made and the house to be clean. I've never told you that. That's why I get home angry every day and I'm upset when I come in the door and I'm always mad and you don't know. Why. So that's, that's one level. But then there's other levels that are, again, the deep work, the core work, the inner work that is an unknown, unexpressed expectation that I expect you to provide me some sense of fulfillment or purpose or worth. And I don't know that I would ever say that, and yet my behavior indicates that that's what I'm looking for from you. So when we go out uh, to a church event and our kids act up and they make, a, they make a mess and they start screaming and throwing a tantrum, and I get furious because my children will not act like that in public. Is that a, is, is that a them thing? Mm. Or is that a AJ's worth and identity thing? And is that really my desire for the approval of man to look a certain way in public, now unleashed on somebody else who it's not their fault? And I've put, in this case, in this example, my children as something that's going to provide me value in my life. Wow. I wouldn't get there on my own. My behavior would display that. And this is why we say this is deep work, that we've got to begin to peel back the layers and see what's underneath. Uh, he said it so well. Most marriage issues, and this is as true of my ministry are, as well, most marriage issues are not marriage problems. They're, 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 under, they're do I know the gospel questions. And the, the evidence is the behavior now that's produced a conflict or something between me and another person. But the root is, do I understand who Jesus is to me and what his love is to me? In most cases, we don't. Otherwise, we would never treat a person like that. Yeah. That's great. You have any thoughts on expectations? I think um, whenever we expect something from somebody that only God is supposed to provide for us, then we will always be disappointed. 
because people can't provide what God has designed us to need from him and only him. And sometimes, no matter where we are in relationship, we could be single, we could be dating, we could be married, um, but if you're looking for something to, f- to fulfill you or to fill the void that only God has put on the inside of you for him to fill, then you'll always be disappointed. Yeah. And that might lead into our, that's great. That might lead into our first question is the most upvoted one so far. How do you identify core, critical, and casual desires? Um, and so when you're speaking about having something that only God can fill, being that idea, in, in case people haven't heard the message, the idea is that the core desires are at the center, and those are things that we, uh, <laughs> what did he say? If those are unmet, then that's the beginning of hell, right? Yes. Right, he says right. the critical desires are those uh, desires for intimacy and relationships, right. for love, for safety, um, whether it's spouse, friends, family, those types of relationships. What he mentioned, ain't no, ain't no, uh, ain't no pain, like, like a heartache wooden, pain yeah, yeah, type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have a broken heart, that's a critical desire feeling unmet. And then the casual desires that he referenced, speaking about things that you can get over. Um, and not, he, he made a point not to say that casual does not mean unimportant. Right. He's saying casual is like you have a financial issue, something right. that's periphery. You have even a health issue, he right. mentioned. Or as mundane or as trivial as Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. And so how do you identify your core we all identified with that. One. Yes, we do. I don't know. Is that a core issue? <laughs> <laughs> it's really important. To it me. hurts. Like it's a core issue. <laughs> yeah. And so how do you identify yeah. your core critical and casual desires? Maybe how do you separate those things? Yeah. Well, I think in boxes, I think two of them are defined for us. Sure. Right. So I think your core desire, like, and this is one where like you, I mean, the message is not subject to interpretation. These are your core desires. You have a core desire for this infinite, radical, unconditional love. Like you need that. That is woven within your DNA, within your cells at creation. And along with that is a deep, significant need for purpose to do something. And when you think about what God did at the moment of creation in the garden, when he made Adam and he made Eve, we've talked about this here, he gave to them freedom to pursue their function and fellowship with God, right? So they had fellowship, they had love, they had intimacy, they had this, this radical, unconditional, unchangeable love, and they had a reason for being there. Yeah. Subdue the earth under dominion and, and partner with God in the creative life-giving force of bringing about more with what I've given you. So that's not changed from Genesis 1 to today. So I would just caution you from saying, I think I have another core desire. I think I also have a core desire for financial security. I don't know. That's a casual, that's a casual need because then the critical desires are the relational, the familial, the deep friendships, the community. And like we talked about, like that's in our cells at a cellular level. Yeah. That's great. That's great. With, um, a question, uh, here, Pastor Tiff, this one's for you. Um, but I think it's something you, I, I think you'll like. If you don't, we'll skip it. Just kidding. Um, question is, how do you prepare when talking about expectations, desires, and things? Obviously, as this relates with the relational series, we want to talk about relationships. How do you prepare and go through in, the engagement and pre-wedding phase besides marriage prep course or counseling? So somebody who might be interested in getting married, wants to be married, either in the dating phase, engagement phase, how would you tell that person? How would you counsel that person? What things should they do to prepare to be married? In addition to 
marriage prep? They said besides marriage yeah, prep. Yeah, so like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Marriage prep. <laughs> um, I would say that it's really important that you spend time getting to know this person. Um, it's really, um, marriage prep is important and it's valuable and it's needed. Uh, but you need to spend the time and take the time to really get to know them, to see them in every kind of way with their family, with their friends, to understand um, what their ideas are about life, about marriage, what their background is, what makes them upset, what kind of childhood trauma they might have experienced, what kind of abuse they might have gone through, because all of those things show up later on in life, and it's important that you guys begin a life together of true transparency so that you can walk. It's not like if you tell me you were traumatized as a child, I'm going to leave you, but it's that you're having the expectation knowing that you're going into this battle together. You're fighting for your life and your purpose together in life because the enemy is going to be after that purpose. And it's important that you know um, what you're dealing with and how to support them as you move forward in your purpose together. And talk a little bit about what you were telling us in, in the back about um, using that time of singleness, or in this case, not marriedness, to really understand yourself and wrestle with some of these core desire issues and the, Im and the impact that that has. If yeah, I think it's, it's easy when you're by yourself to believe your own lies. You believe what you tell yourself, the lies that you tell yourself is that I'm, I'm offended right now because what they said was really offensive when really it's touching a place of abandonment in your heart. And you don't want to be honest about that. And you've got to find somebody and get before the cross and give it to Jesus and say, this is an area of my life that is broken and I need you to fix it. Because I promise you, later on in life, when you get married, it's going to show up. And it's not going to look like abandonment to your spouse. It's going to look like something else and it's going to cause confusion. And so doing the work, knowing what, are you impatient Become, find a way to grow in patience. Are you, do you know how to defer to others? Find a way to do that. Do you know, like, these are the practical things that you can do in your preparation and in being single. It's not all wasted. And like, like Pastor Tellis said weeks ago, marriage isn't the end all be all. It's not the only gift. Singleness is a gift and really find a way to, to, Ask God, what is it that's going on inside of me, and how do I reconcile that with the cross and with who you desire for me to be? Yeah, mar marriage doesn't fix any of your problems. It illuminates them. It draws them out of you. And any, any brokenness within you, you will see 10 times brighter four days after you're married than you did in 40 years prior. Like it will come, right? And you will, issues you did not know you had will now be, you will now be told that you have these issues. And I'm not saying that because marriage is bad or hard. I'm just saying that's what happens when we get intimate with people and close. This is the, this is where marriage is good for sanctification, for helping us grow and helping us develop and becoming more Christ-like in our walk. And so I think what you're saying with that is, what are those things down with you? And a great place to draw that out would be in a discipleship relationship with somebody. So if you don't have somebody that's discipling you, walking with you one-on-one -on -one or in a small group or at some level of mentorship, that would be a great place to start. And just a person that can speak into your life, draw things out of you, and help you deal with them. Yeah. Man, do we, like, we need that. 
Yes. We need that at every phase, but especially I would urge you before you, before you get married, and again, I would say before you have kids, because that's another one that's going to draw more out of yeah. you um, that you didn't know was in there. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Speaking about core desires, how do you practically receive God's love? So if the core desire would be, I need, to re- I need something from God that I can't get in myself and I can't get from people. How am I supposed to practically fill that core desire tank to where then I don't take it out on people or I don't uh, mistake that person for then uh, having the role to fulfill all the things that God needs to fill inside of me? Is there a way? You go first. You go first. I just gave a long answer. (laughs) Hot potato, hot potato. Um, Can you say it again? Yeah, so when you talk about receiving the core yeah, okay, love, how do you receive it? Yeah. Um, thank you. No, I just, I was looking at another question because I was anticipating uh, my yes. dear friend here. To, um, so a couple things. It's a couple things. I mean, um, personally, how do I receive God's love? Well, um, I read this amazing book that was written by a number of different authors that tell the story of God through creation. Um, it's called the Bible, and in it is the richest actual factual descriptions of God's love for me and I meditate on that and I believe it and I memorize it and I immerse my life in it that is something I stand on as true and not optional for me so when so when God says through Jeremiah I have loved you with an everlasting love I don't allow myself to go he loves them with an everlasting love he doesn't love no 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 I so I sit in that I sit in that And I meditate on that and I allow myself to understand what that means and how can I believe that? Well, I look at the evidence of what God has done in my life, first by Christ on the cross, his mercy that's new every day, his grace that is available for me, that even though I I, I still walk in sin, he forgives me and redeems me and blesses me and helps me. And I remember that even at my worst and at my lowest, I can go to my, to my father and he will embrace me with open arms and he will forgive me and he will restore me and he will love me and he will lavish me with that love. And I just, I just have to, I just have to meditate on that and receive that. And there's this moment of worship. I hope, I hope you had that as we sat here and sang to our God that the love of God was poured into your heart. That's what Romans 5, the love of God will be poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. Um, And so we have to, I think you have to open your heart to that. You know, I think if you come and you have a closed heart, it's going to be very hard to do that. I think if you read the scripture with a very skeptical eye and go like, I'm not going to believe this. This is for other people. I'm just doing this because I have to. (laughs) Then then it's going to be hard to receive love. And then, you know, the other thing um, is, for those of us who battle with self-loathing and a lot of insecurity and a lot of self-hate, there's other work that needs to be done there, probably therapeutically with a pastor through prayer to help see yourself rightly in God's eyes. It's very hard to receive God's love if you hate yourself and all you think about is how awful you are. But just remember, when when you do that, you accuse the creator of making a mistake with you. And when you self-loathe, you are making accusations against God that he is wrong and that he has done something bad. And I would just play those thoughts out and understand, can a perfect God do that? Or is maybe that a different voice that I'm listening to? 
No, that's great. I think receiving God's love, <clears throat> we were made to. Yeah. If you think about it, we're called his beloved, beloved. And I believe that the way that we are designed was to be in relationship with God. And so how do you be in relationship with somebody you were designed to be in relationship with? I believe there's so much that goes into it that is inescapable. You cannot separate from faith. Looking back at what the cross you mentioned is the cross provides this truth. So when you look at the cross and you see the truth, then what does that mean? How do you feel that somebody died for you? Does that make you, does, does it, does it well up anything on the inside of you? When you look back 2000 years ago, you say it's hard to receive God's love. What does the cross truly mean for you? Because if the cross is not your source of love, I'm afraid that nothing will ever be enough because the cross is the ultimate evidence of God's love uh, for you. Yeah, yeah. He has created you and loves you. And if you don't believe the word, look at the cross. Yeah. Very good. Look at what Very Jesus good. did for you. And so I would say to receive God's love is to yeah. honestly say, one, you were meant to do it. God designed you to be loved by him and by his spirit making you alive in him. You can receive his love. Yeah. And so much of this, I think, has to do with what you, what you hit on, like unforgiveness of yourself. If yeah. you do not think that you are, for, you are forgivable, the voice we listen to the most is oftentimes not God's, it's our own. Mm. And so what are you filling your mind with? I would say after that, fill your mind with the things of God and not the things of yourself. Because you, the great commandment, love the Lord your God, all your heart, mind, soul, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. I think he had to say love your neighbor as yourself because if we're being honest— <laughs> Not many of us love ourselves all that much, right? And so what is the cure for that? I believe it's looking at the cross and then having that filter every type of love that now we receive and then we give. Yeah, and I think the beautiful thing about the way that God works is he uses our natural experiences, nature, life, relationships to communicate and help us understand him and his love. So how do I receive God's love? Well, how do you receive the love of another person? Well, there's a process of getting to know them of learning to trust them, of then having fellowship and communion with that person over meals or dates or time together. You're, you're having conversation with that person. You're learning who they are. They're learning who you are. Then you begin to like, maybe you admit some things to them. You haven't admitted to somebody else and they just go like, hey, that's cool. Like, I love you. It's not a problem. Like, and you go like, wow, I, I can trust this person. And I think that's how we, that's how we, for those of us who aren't there yet, right? It's not like receive God's love. Just, just receive it. Just like, you know, just go like, ah, I receive you. God. Some of us need to go through those steps, right? Of like, I need to, I need to, and maybe you need to pray a bit more and listen to God and have those conversations and learn, learn if you can trust him and then you grow in love. Yeah, that's great. Um, a question here says my relationship uh, kind of switching gears. My relationship is against what God says for a few reasons. I feel like I can't be a hundred percent wholesome standing with God until it's over. Is this correct? So I would, uh, if, uh, lost it. Um, I, I think this is saying until this relationship, which is dishonoring to God is done with, I don't feel like I can be a hundred percent whole standing with God. Is this correct? Do I need to end a bad relationship before I can be 100% whole with God? I think that's what this person is asking. And sure, there's a whole lot of context, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what would, what would you advise this person with? Yes. <laughs> um, 
It sounds to me like you know the answer to your own question. And um, so you're faced with what Eve was faced with in the garden. Are you going to be in love with the thing that you desire? Or are you more in love with Jesus and what he desires for you? His desires for you 100% of the time work out 100% of the time. So there's, one, there's 100% chance that if you follow Jesus, it will go well for you. It's a guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> I, I heard, I, uh, I don't know if it's a church mom or someone said, like, if you're a Christian, if you don't give up, you win. Yeah, yeah. If you don't give up, you win. Um, that's great. Yeah. But I would say, that. ask yourself the question, why are you holding on to something that you know God doesn't want right. you to hold on to? Right. And be honest with yourself first. And go from there. But you know the answer, whoever asked that question. I'm reminded Jesus simply said, um, if you love me, then you'll obey me. And our evidence for our love for God sometimes is seen in us choosing him over something else. This is why I believe to an extent the Lord allowed a tree of knowledge of good and evil to be in the garden, because if there was no option of choice to choose God above something else or other than something else, it wouldn't be love. And so to choose God over the thing that you want or a different decision is to say, God, I choose, I love you more than I love this thing. And so in your obedience, I believe is your manifestation of your true love towards God. That's good. How do you recognize God's voice after drifting so far spiritually? How do you recognize God's voice? Uh, The proverb says there is wisdom in a multitude of advisors. And if you've not been walking with God for a while and you've fallen away, I would be hesitant to start chasing everything you think is the voice of God. That's where people start going. I feel like I was called here. I was called here. I think God's calling me to leave my job. I think God's calling me to break up with this person. You're going like... Okay, I'm not going to tell you what God is or isn't telling you, but like, if you've not been walking with him, maybe seek the counsel of others, find somebody that can uh, hear God with you, pray with you, stand with you, and walk with you in that. But of course, intimacy, again, goes, we go back to read your Bible, study your word, pray, be in Christian community and fellowship with others, laughing others who can speak into your life, come to church, practice worship, those things create intimacy with God and begin to tune our ears um, to what he's saying. That's great. Yeah. Here's, here's a really practical one. How can I control my lack of emotional intelligence? And they put in parentheses, AKA anger. How can I control my anger? Yeah. Yes. Um, The help of the, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. Uh, um, Yes. The help of the Holy spirit (laughs) is true. Um, Here's the thing. If you are not able to identify the root of your anger, you will not be able to deal with it. And until you're ready to get honest with yourself about what you're angry about, you won't be able to, you won't be able to resolve it because you're inviting the Holy spirit into a situation that you're not even being honest with him about in the first place. And I would encourage you to have, have a moment where you write out, an anger letter, just write it out. All the things that you're angry about and don't be afraid and don't be dishonest and then sit in the presence of God and offer it to him and ask him to reveal to you, where did this show up in my life? And God, will you meet me there and rewrite my story? 
because the Lord wants to erase the conditioning. He wants to erase how you've been conditioned through life and replace it with how, how you were born, what he's called you to be from birth. And those are two very different things. The person that I have been conditioned to become versus who I was born to be. We want to be people who God created us from the womb to be. And so when you can go back to that place and say, God, this is where anger entered in. The Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. And then it's going to, it might be painful and it might be, you know, a process of, for you to walk through, but you'll come out free. You'll come out in complete freedom and the Lord will do the work in you. You don't have to do that work of erasing that. God will do it. You have to do the work of being honest with God about it. Yeah, well, and um, the emotion of anger is always tied to a need for control. And so when things are out of your control, we're not going. Say it again, one more time. The emotion of anger is tied to the need for control. So when things are out of your control, that's usually what we're getting angry and upset about. Um, so a very easy, good example for me um, comes from my, my children who are five, three, and one. So they're little. They should not know how to do all the things I want them to do, right? So this is not a logical conversation. This is an emotional one with me. So when, so when I can't get them to do the things I want them to do or when, when I need peace and quiet and they are being loud and crazy, which is fine for little children to be playing and having fun and telling me stories about their day, when they are, in other words, in my way or not doing the thing I want, my instinct is to get frustrated and mad at them. And I'll be like, stop. Just be quiet. Like, hang on. Ah, blah. Right? Why? Because a five-year-old should not tell me stories nonstop about his day. That is exactly what I want my five-year-old to do. That's Just funny. tell me nonstop stories about his day and build trust with his dad right? To not play with his brother. That's all I want him to do. Play with your brother all day. And yet I'm not getting the thing I think I deserve. Selfishness, lack of control. This is what the real thing is. And how, how did I get there? Well, I got there by um, doing the deep work, doing the soul searching, doing what you're talking about, which is tracing back my response to what was actually violated within me. And then, I mean, just brace yourself. It gets very humbling very fast because you begin to learn, again, the depravity of your own soul. And here I am, pastor, leader of this household, father of these children, man of God, going, but I don't get some peace and quiet around here. I'm going to yell at you. <laughs> and you just go like, God, And how many of us in this room, if we're honest, wish that our parents would have done what he did? That's where anger enters into a five-year-old. And then at at 40 years old, he's wondering, why am I angry? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when has... Well, this is a parenting seminar now, but... Okay. Relationships. <laughs> but you tie Back that to the to, questions. Tie that to a significant other. Tie that to your spouse. Sure. Tie that to a work environment. I mean, wherever that is, that still is the same central need. And that has to then come to a place of surrender. Will I surrender my need for control yeah. to God? Sure. And will I embrace people for the sinners that they are and love them that way? This is Seth's message now. And then gives me the opportunity to love you with the love that I have received from Christ himself. Absolutely. Yeah. James says... Uh, um, 
for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, right? And so practically what I would also say is make repentance your very best friend. If you know that you struggle with anger, repent so fast and to that person, repent to God. You got angry. God, that did not produce righteousness. I know that. Now go to that person that did not produce righteousness. I hurt you. That was dishonoring of you. And maybe if they were in this message it's because my core desires were not filled. I didn't go to God. So I took them out on my critical. And so you have that, that place. So I say, make repentance, your very best friend, and then probably make forgiveness your second best friend start to forgive super quickly because sometimes if you feel lack of a control, you feel like they disrespected you or you feel like it was against you. Forgiveness, forgiveness, untie the boat, I would yeah, say. Yeah. Um, here's an interesting one. Uh, I have three that are kind of fun. Um, I'll go with this one first. I'll go with, uh, yeah, I'll go with, yes. <laughs> Why does it seem taboo to express interest in someone within, a ch- within church at times? Why does it seem taboo to express interest with someone inside the church at times? Taboo, taboo meaning... Yeah, like, you wouldn't oh, do you that. That would be that. weird. Like, oh, we don't do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, because Christians certainly don't have a desire for romantic needs. <laughs> no. We don't want to be Because we've all disciplined ourselves so hard for the purposes of righteousness. Glory of God. None of us have awakened love before it's time. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a great question. Tiffany, is, is it? it? Oh, is it taboo? It's taboo? I think to some people it is. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> It, uh, maybe I can jump in. I think it feels taboo. Why don't you help like, us with this? One? <laughs> I know. Right? I'm asking <laughs> I think it feels taboo because we're like, but what if it doesn't work out? That's yeah. going to be really weird. And then what if they see my sin and then they're going to be like, they're in that small group. They're serving on that team. They're doing that. And I think it comes from insecurity that we are not going to be the perfect image that they think that we are. That's why I think it's taboo is because if I'm dating you within the same church, then um, we're going to grow close together. And if we're too close, you're going to get a real clear image of who I actually am. Um, That's why I think it might be taboo. I'm a fan of the idea. I like the idea of dating within church because you are under the same leadership. You're in the same church. You can assume a lot about each other theologically, spiritually. You can go to who's discipling that person and ask them, is this person a good person to date? I think part of the reason is we make dating like this very, very nuanced, romantic, like we're slick about it. And it's almost a secret sometimes Uh Uh instead of who's discipling you. And can I go talk to them? Because if then, then it's like, oh, well, I'm not. I just want to take you out to ice cream. It's like it wouldn't. Well, no, let me. Who, who's the site? Who, who, what, yeah. what service team are you serving on? Yeah. And then if you're, I'm just going to throw people out, like, not names. But okay. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's like, slow down. Slow down. The dark just cover. saying names yeah, yeah. out the blue. Tell us a small group is sweating right now. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> but if you're, <laughs> but let's say, like, I, anyway, I think yeah. that it, it adds this, um, this uh, accountability to it that uh-huh. I think we're uncomfortable with at times. Yeah, I think as you said that, the answer, well, the, well an answer came to my mind, which is, again, because we're going like, is it taboo? I think it's actually the healthiest way to do it, which would mean that, 
again, it's the idea of what the devil can't destroy, he'll try to corrupt. And so healthy dating in a, in a church environment where there's accountability, community, fellowship, and all of these things is a good thing. Great. And so what is the devil going to tell you? Oh, it's a bad thing. Yeah. Oh, it's weird. You would be weird to date people in your church. Don't do that. Go find somebody on the dating app that you don't know. That, that'll be better than somebody. But what you don't do is walk up to somebody and be like, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to date you. Yeah. Because if someone ever if someone ever does that to you, be like, yeah, the Lord didn't. Tell Why me that. not though? Well, Let's you didn't get tell me. <laughs> you didn't tell me that. You need to go back to your prayer closet you because he told me. Tell me that. But why? Like, so for it, like, if somebody, why is that a bad thing to go up to somebody and be like, hey, I really feel like the Lord told me that you, ma'am. What's what's next? Because what if? If you're, if you're doing that and you're lying, yeah, don't do that. What if, seriously, what if somebody really feels like the Lord was like, no, I think that you're my spouse. If you feel like the Lord told you that, then keep it to yourself. <laughs> the Bible says that we know in part and we Come prophesy on. Come on. in part. That's right. That's right. That's right. So That's right. if you are in the category where you feel, am I acting, is this personal? Is this, is I was going to say, like have you, it's coming you, from a did place. Did somebody come up Did something you? rise up inside of me just now? I'm just trying to figure out. I think out. I fell, I think I, <laughs> let me reel it back in. So, I realize you're standing on the <laughs> edge of the stage. <laughs> okay. If you are the person who feels like God has spoken to you about somebody, Find a, a pastor, a counselor, a, a accountability partner, a life group leader, and talk to them about it yeah. and work through what that looks like and talk with them about the best way to proceed with that revelation that you feel like you have from God. If you are on the receiving end where a person says, I think that you're my whatever God told me this. Then you say, you know, I have this great pastor, Pastor AJ. I would like you to talk with Pastor Tellis or Pastor AJ about that because I'm not able to help you discern that because I'm the object of your affection. So how about you go talk to that? I remember this when I was dating Marcus, um, Pastor Brett, I said, Pastor Brett, I don't know. I don't, I don't have just, can you talk, can you meet with him? Can you figure it out? And he was like, yeah, in one meeting, I'm going to figure this out. But um, Pastor Brett told him in that meeting, if you believe she's your wife, then God will reveal it. So I'm going to give you six months to get to know her. And if after six months, you cannot come and sit in my office and look me in my face and tell me that you know you're going to marry her, I will help you amicably absolve your relationship. Come on, Pastor Brad. We all need a Pastor Brad in our lives. And that Pastor Dad put, put a fire under his butt. That put that put that put accountability. She has to date Pastor Tiffany yeah. and report to Pastor <laughs> Brett about how the relationship went. I would have left the room and said, I mean, No, I don't think this is supposed to happen oh anymore. <laughs> if I'm being honest, if I'm being honest with you, all eight, eight and a half, almost nine years ago, I was hoping that that's what would happen because of insecurities that I had in my inside that I hadn't done the work on. I was hoping that Pastor Brett would be like, Yeah, that's it. 
you know, forget about him next. But through the process of being able to walk through courtship with accountability and spiritual authority, looking in and, and helping us navigate, then we knew we weren't, you know, do, we weren't doing anything that was out. If we were sitting next to each other in church and you know how people talk, oh, so-and-so sat next to so-and-so. Are they doing such and such? What's that? Yeah. You don't have... God knows and your spiritual covering knows. And that's really important when you're trying to decipher whether someone is marriage material, which by the way, I don't know what the purpose is of dating. If you're not exploring, could this person be your spouse? Amen. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So why does it seem taboo to express interest in someone at church? Um, (laughs) I don't think we, we, we believe that we hope it. Yes, it shouldn't. I think that's a great place for you to date, to be honest, is in church. Um, another Fun question. Um, while dating, how do you tell someone that you don't think you are compatible spiritually without making it an attack on them? So essentially, how do you break up in an amicable way, right? Right? Is that what I'm reading? Okay. How do you say it's not you, it's me? I think that's what they're... Right? You give them six months and have them report to <laughs> Pretty much. and he will That's help it. you. That's it. I'll tell you. Um, the, so, uh. <clears throat> before Marcus, there was this young man who really had like a strong backbone to come up to me in the church lobby and ask me if we could have coffee. And I was like, wow, I'm really impressed. Yeah. So we went to coffee and maybe for a month there were like coffee dates here and there and I was getting to know him and I was listening a lot. And at the end of that uh, month, I asked him, hey, could you meet me at Starbucks? I want to talk to you about something. And I sat down with him and I said, you're a very attractive man and I've enjoyed getting to know you. And I think that you have a lot of great qualities. Here are some things in my life that are very important. And I listed them. My relationship with God. My, um, my ability to parent my kids well in righteousness and the ministry that God has called me to. Those are three very, very important things for me. And I'm not looking for someone that I'm just attracted to. I'm looking for someone that can like lead me in those things. And I feel like we might be a little bit unevenly, unequally yoked here. I feel like there's some things that, you know, you've said that you want to grow in. And I think that's great. But I think you're a great person. You're just, I don't think it's the right fit for us. And so I just wanted to tell you that face to face and give you the honor of letting you know that, that, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of go a different direction, but I really wish you the best. And I was able to do that because there's no, there's no emotional, we weren't physically, there's nothing. It's just, I'm getting to know you and I'm learning about you. And I think there's a healthy way to be able to share with someone. This is what I'm looking, desiring. And I'm feeling like that doesn't match up. You're not saying you're not this and you're not that. And you're not, you're just talking about what it is that you're needing and what you're feeling. And I think that we should be, you know, he looked at me and said, I've never ever in my life had a woman do this. Like either they just stop taking my calls or they just ignore me or whatever. But I, I thank you for doing that. And I think it's important that we're honest with ourselves first and that we're kind, but honest with others. That's great. So good. Can we give a little little hand clap for that? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind, direct, concise and clear. Yeah. Yeah. It's not 
you're probably probably not a three hour conversation. Mm-mm. You're just saying what it is in yep. a kind way and just keep it moving. That's great. Yeah. Um, how do you deal? Uh, oh wait, where'd it go? Where did it go? Oh, here it is. How do you actionably? So, what do you do? How do you identify? realistic expectations from unrealistic expectations that you have for loved ones. So how do you identify where you've placed unrealistic expectations on your loved ones? Yeah. So this implies that there's relationship and where there's relationship, there can be dialogue and where there can be dialogue, there can be forgiveness and also expectation management. So taking all of that as assumed, not a, a stranger, right? Um, Again, the first part of expectation management is to is to communicate them, right? And there's got to be a dialogue that says this is what I'm hoping to see or not see. This is the behavior I like or I don't like. And then, quite frankly, how, how like just to be honest, like judge by the behavior if that person is capable of meeting that, right? So if you want a creative who's very like you know always thinking about like building things and making stuff and like just kind of goes where the wind blows to like be very regimented and on time all the time. Like you might be setting yourself up for frustration. Certain people have certain gifts. So um, there's got to be a level where you can have a dialogue about it, uh, hear that person's heart because it's not just about you. Mm-hmm. So the world does not exist to meet your expectations. You live in a community of other people. So there's gotta be a dialogue of back and forth. You've gotta judge the behavior. Can that person, is that person able to do it? Um, otherwise you're gonna set yourself up for a lifetime of frustration. And then, you know, there's grace, feedback, clarification, and it's, you know, all the things that make up a relationship, you know, in my opinion. Is that, is, is that I don't know, yeah. that help? Does that make sense? No, I think it's good. Like, okay. Yeah, I liked it. I was also reading other questions, so I wasn't in. You weren't. You didn't hear focused. a word of this. <laughs> I lied on stage, and I needed. <laughs> you got to be fair. So I had, to, I had to tell you. I liked the idea. I liked the part you when said. you said yeah. the thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was fine. I guess if it works, do what he said. Um, here's it. Here's. <laughs> Here was one. Um, uh, somebody asked, how do you deal wisely with someone who likes you, but you do not like them back? I would refer to Pastor Tiff's answer. Yes, refer to previous answer. Yes. Next. Um, there was another one that said... Uh, Listen, you don't want to get into a long-term relationship that's going nowhere. If you know it's not going somewhere, you end it. That saves everybody. Just That is the kindest thing that you can do. I know the fear is I'm going to be unkind. I have to break up with them. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, you can hurt your feelings or you can get divorced in 15 years. Like, which one do you want? You want to have a... What did I do to you? Is there something rising up? What did I do to you? Why are you yelling (laughs) at me? I didn't even do it. I'm sorry I wasn't listening to your answer. Is that what you want? There's something going on. Gosh. That's her agent. (laughs) Uh, you okay? Everything I'm great. Right? I'm great. Okay. <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> I think we're at time. That was, <laughs> that was good. That was good. Um, there's I'm another just saying, one. Don't play around with it. I agree. That's all I'm saying. But it leads into this okay. question. Actually, should I continue to date someone who won't come to church? We can answer this pretty ah. quickly. No. Why <laughs> are you making me the bad guy? You said no, we were going to say at the same that. time. He was like, "Let's say it together." No. <laughs> Uh, next, next question. 
No, because oh if your gosh, faith because... in your walk with Jesus is important to you, that should be a non-negotiable in your right. life. And if yes. this is a man who's not willing to come, he cannot lead you. Mm-hmm. He lacks the skill and ability to lead you. I don't care what he's done in right. his career. He cannot lead you. Cannot. Or he, he will does lead you not know someplace God. else. Well, he can lead you somewhere. That's right. a good point. What did you say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's uh, the, the thing. Uh, should I continue to someone who won't come to church? Just very lovingly, would you want to have a husband who doesn't come to church? Right, right. It, sometimes we, we date the potential instead of what's actually there. And so, oh, no, they're interested. Honey, if this is the best that he would ever be, would you still marry him? Did I say honey? Why did I do that? <laughs> Why did I say that? I never say that word. <laughs> I'm hanging out with Pastor Tiff too much. That's something that she would say. Honey, 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 honey. sweetie, sweetie. That's. I don't know why I okay. said that. This sounds so passive aggressive. <laughs> honey. Oh, I'm so sorry. That was so rude. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, okay. A few more. Okay. We'll do these pretty quick. Okay. I don't know if this quick, but we'll at least con- as concise as we can. Okay. Right. Um, here's an interesting one. Um, what does it look like to stop looking to your parents to fill your core desires in the transition of young adulthood? So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I-, I think it's yeah. a great question. Absolutely. You got married right after college. No, uh, yeah. Okay, great. I was going to say it in the mic, but then I wanted to say it to you Well, first. it's a fact. Yes. You just told me I got married right after college, which <laughs> is true. <laughs> which is true. Yeah. So I was going to say, you might be equipped to answer it because right after college, straight into yeah. young adulthood, you were married like that. And so what was that transition like? Yeah. Well, again, you got to start with your, again, it's, you're not going to find this answer in another person. And I think for me, there's a hint or a subtext of I'm going to find my core desire met in myself or in somebody else. So how do I, how do I break it off of my parents and put it in somebody else? And that's a non-starter. There's only, again, Seth, he said it. There's only one person who can fill your core desires, and that is Jesus. You don't need to be a young adult. You don't need to be out of the house. You don't need to be married. You don't need to be dating. You don't need to be anything to, to find Jesus and have him fill that core desire. Great. That was quick. That was great. Um, <clears throat> here's, um, here's an interesting one that I think has to deal with dating, I would assume, and not like their salvation. How do you distinguish between uh, someone? How do you distinguish someone who has a true relationship with God versus someone who just identifies as a Christian, quote unquote? So I would assume this isn't referencing like, is that person saved and how do I know? I would assume this is saying, how do I know somebody who is really uh, um, somebody to engage with romantically when it comes to following Jesus? Fruit. That's it. There it 100%. is. hundred percent. Look at their fruit. Yeah. Watch their life. Does it line up with the Bible? Yep. Do they do what they say they're, they say they're going to do or do they make excuses? Do they, do they look like Jesus or do they not? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, there, um, there's one about marriage that I think is really in depth. And I would encourage you to go and find a pastor to talk to about this one. I would love to ask it, but it's probably so specific that I want you to email info at gracecup.org and set a meeting up with a pastor. Um, what about, um, this, If you were single for the rest of your time on earth, what would keep your heart content? Your core desire, which is Jesus. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's, I, yeah. The Bible says that he is a, a woman at the well, right? Jesus comes and says, give me a drink of water. She says, okay. And then they have this whole conversation. He said, if, if, if you, she says, if you knew who I was, you would never ask me to give you a drink of water. He says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water and you would never thirst again. Jesus is saying that I am the only thing that will actually forever satisfy you. The scriptures teach that Jesus will satisfy you completely and totally. The question is, do you believe it? Because there is a promise in scripture that he is the only thing that will satisfy you. The He's the only is, thing that will breathe? satisfy you in singleness or in marriage. A hundred percent. So if you're looking to your marriage to be some sort like it's, it's till the day you die, Jesus is what Jesus is your portion. He's your source. Yeah. He's your life. He's your strength. You cannot look to any other thing, entity, person for that. That's it. Yeah, that's that's it. great. How do you know someone is unequal is how do you know someone is equally yoked? Oh, interesting. Um, we usually get unequally, right? Yes. And so how do you know somebody is equally yoked? Um, I would probably repeat what you said. Look at the fruit. Look at you guys' mm-hmm. um, directions of your life. I would say look at your calling. Where do you feel like you're going? Where do you feel like they are going? There's no replacement for communication. So ask them, what do you expect out of this? What do I expect out of this? Where do you want to go? Where do I want to go? What is God teaching you? What is God teaching me? It can be very romantic to keep it all like under the surface and just feel it with our heart. But I think that there's kind kindness in 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 clarity and in communication and so speak with that person about where and what god is doing in their lives and i would say that's probably something that can help you understand if you're equally or unequally yoked i would assume if they're a believer right so if they're a believer yes and then head from that point place yeah right Last question. Yep, this is it. Um, the last question is, and I think it's one that we can leave on pretty well. What are practical steps in getting our in getting and keeping our desires in proper order? Practical steps Good. in getting your desires in order, Good. proper order. What they mentioned in keeping them in proper order, because Seth mentioned um, having our desires um, out of order. Desires, yes. right? Which I've heard said is out of order. Love is idolatry, right? Say that and again. So, if you have your loves out of order, core, critical, casual, out of order, what happens is anything that is supposed to be outside of core, that is inside of core, is an idol. We place God as the king of our lives. He's the only one who should be in the core desire area of our lives. And so if there is a critical relationship or critical desire, which is like a family relationship, friendship, something like that, or if there's a casual job money, comfort, success, health, and the place of the core desires, I would say that is an idol. So how do you place, um, or how, and how do you practical steps in keeping and placing our desires in proper order? I think the tension in all of our lives is that these orders, because of our sin nature, we want to get them out of order. And so throughout the course of our lives, they will come out of order. And so I would say we need to get really good at reordering them. And we reorder them through repentance and asking God for forgiveness and reflecting on the word and making that declaration. I mean, this was, you know, he, he, he drew that out when he was mad at his wife because of the thing. And he drew that all the way back down into, I feel like I need to perform well for God to love me and for other people to love me. And the woman I knew, the closest who knows me the best, made a, and his probably felt like an accusation and that violated what's at my core. So what did I do? I noticed that I understood that. And then I, and then I repented and I reminded myself that there was only one love that truly satisfies. And this woman is not my enemy, but my greatest asset. 
And so we reorder them in that moment. That takes emotional maturity, but that's, that's the process of, of growth. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, like, your daily walk with Jesus will keep him first. And so if he is first, if you have time set aside for Jesus, um, you have time set aside for reading the Bible, you have time set aside for worship, and for prayer and time that's just you and just for you guys, then um, it will keep things in alignment when they, you know, if that gets out of alignment, everything else will come out of alignment. Can we thank Pastor Tiffany, everybody, for tonight? Thank you for being here with us. That's great. I hope these have been good for you. They've been so fun for us. Your guys' questions have been incredible. And we talk about, you'll see, we'll talk about them after that. We talk about them all week long. Um, so thank you all for being here. Those of you watching us online, thank you for being here.